Vancouver. Free game, post game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds. The free casino games make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you. I don't know if you noticed the, I sort of drew out the wide there a little bit longer. Yeah, that's Taking good. off for a few days, going up to uh, Whistler to do some shredding in the sun. So I'm a little excited right now, j Ah, nice. Yeah. I hear it's a birthday weekend too. It, it certainly is. I, I am turning 39 once again. Loving hey, hey, well it. Well done. Consecutive. <laughs> Six years in a row now. Yeah, so the Stanley Cup playoffs rolling on here. The AHL Calder Cup playoffs going on as well. And we have our eye on the Abbotsford Canucks, who are into the second round. Kicked it off last night in Calgary against the Wranglers. By the way, I love that nickname. I just, to me, I love it. It's a great name. But it wasn't great for the Canucks, though, as they lost uh, in overtime. Jacob Peltier with the OT winner, who, of course, is a... A uh, young prospect that the Flames are high on. Although when I looked at the goal, J-Pat, one thing sort of stood out to me. Yeah. Did not like the play from young Jack Rathbone. No, and I'm the same way. And and look, we know that he can drive play and generate offense. And he scored a couple of goals in the last round against Bakersfield. But the knock on him at the NHL level, it was and it remains. Can he defend? And this isn't the NHL level. This is the American Hockey League playoffs. And... You're right. Like, kind of goes for a poke check at the blue line and misses and then gets caught. And Pelche gets behind him. And, you know, Pelche's, you're right, like high prospect. People in Calgary have been waiting for this guy to to hit and, and you know, be a flame. Um, but they're happy to have him on the minor league team in the playoffs, I'm sure. You know, goal scorer. And once he was in a position to shoot the puck, yeah, he hit his mark. So he wins it in overtime. But you're right, that uh, that was not Jack Rathbone's finest moment. And again, everything's magnified and amplified in the playoffs and stakes go up and he knows that uh, the organization's watching him. And so, yeah, that, uh, I'm sure he'd like a, a do-over. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And so, you know, they dropped the opener. Calgary, we talked about it, had the chance to choose the first two at home or the final three at home. They opted for the Saddle Dome for the first two, wanted to get the jump on the on the Abbey Canucks, and they do that. Now they've got to back it up with another one. Abbotsford's got another chance here on Friday night to get the split. So, you know, they're not in trouble in the series yet, but it is a best of five. And so everything gets ramped up and you run out of time in a hurry if you go down to nothing. So, yeah, now it gets real uh, for the Abbotsford Canucks. You know, I like the fact that they hung with the Wranglers, forced them to overtime, certainly no quit in that Abbotsford team, uh, get it to OT and take your chances. Unfortunately for them, uh, you know, they didn't win, but Aturatu with the beautiful yes. shot to tie the game, five minutes to go. You know, I, I, I love the goal. I, I guess I look at it and I say, like, you know, I, I need to see that kind of stuff from him a little more regularly, certainly at the AHL level. You know, it can't just be, Oh, that was an incredible goal. And then, you know, you never see it again. Like, you know, and, and I do think consistency has been a little bit of a knock on him, but uh, chips are down, you're down a goal, somebody's got to step up. And, and he did. So big time goal at a big time for the Abbotsford Canucks last night. Uh, you know, some of the guys that we talked about in that first round uh, sounded like they were a little quieter, but again, this is the best team in the American Hockey League with the best goaltender. Of course, they're going to be focusing on Nils Hoaglander and trying to, you know, shut him down and, and take time and space away from some of the other guys that uh, had, you know, good series against Bakersfield. So, look, you're not going to win them all. It's just one loss, but in a best of five, uh, Friday night becomes pretty important, I think, to uh, to the baby Canucks. Yeah, good battle there from the Canucks. Uh, you're right. And, and it looks like it was a good goaltending battle as well between 
uh, Dustin Wolf and Spencer Martin. They both made 30 saves, but of course, Wolf just making the one more, I guess, uh, one less. So when it comes to uh, Spencer Martin, but are you are like, do you, do you like what they're doing right now with these gold? Like, do you think that Martin, because I mean, it looks like he had a good game. So is he going to get start again or do you think they're going to do this tandem thing here? Yeah, I mean, that kind of is the talk here this spring at all levels of playoff hockey. Like, we wondered that about the, you know, there's a bunch of teams in the NHL. Were they going to do the platoon and, and the tandem? And and as much as, you know, we talk about it, when push comes to shove, coaches generally tend to go with one guy, right? Like, they they pick their guy and they they stick with them. Uh, I, I'm interested. Like, I, I'm not even sure what my gut tells me here because Spencer Martin pitched a shutout in the first game against Bakersfield. That didn't seem to matter. They went to Arthur Silovs in game two, and they won that one as well. So I wasn't surprised that they went back to Martin for the start against Calgary. So I would not be the least bit surprised if they turned to Silovs here and just show a different look. Again, how much can one goaltender... Remember, these teams played each other 12 times in the regular season. So, you know, the Wranglers have seen Arthur Silovs. You're not throwing something at them that they haven't seen. Um, But if you're just trying to throw a wrench into their planning and preparation, you know, maybe you keep them guessing. My, my hunch is that Jeremy Collin won't name a starter until, you know, warm-up starts and you know who's leading the team out onto the ice. So, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, if you're asking me who do I think is going to start in Game 2, I would say Arthur Silovs, but that's not a knock on Spencer Martin at all, who has shown more than capable, more than capable at the American Hockey League level. If they come back with Martin, yeah, he gave them the kind of goaltending that they had an opportunity to win uh, the series opener. So, I think Colleton, you know, he framed it last week like it's a good problem to have. The goaltenders may not like it because both of them want that net, but goaltending is always a numbers game, and that's just their lot in life. So uh, we'll have to wait and see, but my hunch is that you'll see Archer Silovs get the start in game two. Well, pivotal game two at that. Got to get the split if you're the uh, Canucks and make it a best two out of three on your home ice, which, uh, of course, would uh, be good for for Abbotsford. Uh, Interesting today... Frank Saravalli of uh, Daily Faceoff put out his trade board this morning. And interesting, JT Miller is at number five. Now, Tyler Myers is at 12, and I'm not as quite uh, blown away by that. But JT Miller is still a highly regarded yeah. trade uh, piece, at, at least according to Frank Saravalli. Now, in his article, he references the Peng- Penguins uh, deal that apparently was on the table there at the trade deadline. And of course they're going to have a whole new regime. That's going to come in here. That to me makes me wonder like, okay, are they even going to look at that because of the fact that there's going to be new personnel in there, but also too, from what we understood, like the Canucks weren't interested in what the penguins were offering. So is there even really a connection there still? I'm just checking my calendar here. Did we make it two full (laughs) weeks without JT Miller trade talk? I'm not convinced that we did, but I thought we cut off this talk, but (laughs) Frank pulled us back into the fire. Yeah, the first trade board of the offseason. We haven't even had a team eliminated from the Stanley Cup. He didn't even wait till the first round was over. Uh, Didn't wait till there was a team that had been kicked out of the playoffs. And yeah, there's the first trade bait board of the offseason. And so, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I guess the surprise for me is that there were only four guys ahead of JT Miller, that he comes in at number five here. Um, but we know time is of the essence because he's got the trade protection that kicks in on July the 1st. So, uh, you know, if the Canucks are still trying to move this player, it has to basically, I say it has to, uh, it just gets a whole lot more complicated after July the 1st. So, you know, I, I look at the Canucks, 
what they've got, the cap commitments that they have. Uh, JT Miller coming off an 80 point season, followed, you know, for, eh, 99 a year ago and 80. So basically averaging 90 points the last two seasons. Yeah, you can trade them, but I don't know how you replace that. Like, I just, I still have trouble reconciling in my mind how, on one hand, the organization can be contemplating a JT Miller trade. And on the other, and for public consumption, it's all about taking a step, making the playoffs next year. Um, and, you know, certainly if you trade JT Miller, and we don't know what the return would be, but clearly at the trade deadline, they didn't like what the Penguins were offering. Like, how do you look Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes in the eye and tell them that you're building this thing and that, you know, that you believe that this team can get to the playoffs next season. We just did an episode the other day about the path back to the playoffs. It certainly didn't include this massive gap at second line center when we already know that they've got a third line center hole that they, they want to fill. So, you know, there's just a lot that doesn't make sense for me there. And yet, you know, Frank's not just throwing this stuff at the wall. Like he's an informed guy who, uh, as he pointed out in the column, I mean, ahead of the trade deadline, I think what did he say, 42 of the 50 guys that they had on their initial board uh, moved at some, like that seemed like a high number, but I'd have to go back and look. But uh, I mean, he's got Miller there for a reason. And whether it comes to anything, I guess we'll find out in the months ahead. But uh, JT Miller at number five on the trade bait board. Yeah, let's uh, fire up another round of JT Miller trade talk. I just don't know if I'm buying it, yeah. J-Pat. Like, I just, you know, and not to not to say that Frank doesn't have sources and that Frank's not, you know, completely dialed in because he is. But at the same time, too, like, you know, what are you saying to the organization and the rest of the players if you handed out that contract to JT Miller and then right before it's about to kick in, you trade him? Yeah, that is not a good look. You know, you don't have the, oh, that was the old regime that yeah. signed the contract. No, yeah. this is you. This is your handiwork. This is a decision that you made to commit to this guy. And now you're changing course here. And again, if they do pull the trigger, they're getting something of value in return. They're not giving the player away. But what is that? Like, what is the return? And how does that address the needs because even if you get a young center that you think can slide in and can be a part of what you're trying to put together here, he's not going to be an 80 to 90 point guy next season. He's not like you're not you're not swapping like that same caliber player, you know, one for one. Like it just it doesn't work that way. So if you're trading for a younger player, you're taking a step back. You are like you, you might get a quality younger player. But I don't think you're getting a guy that's filling the skates of JT Miller and all that he brings and. Again, as we've assessed, what do the Canucks have and what are they missing? And we talked about, like, who's ready on this roster? Like, who's ready to play playoff hockey? And we agreed that JT Miller was at the top of the list of this group in the here and now. So, again, like, that just kind of flies in the face of where this team is and where it's trying to get to in the the next couple of years. So, you know, would you get some cost saving? Yeah, if you can get out from under the contract. But back to your point. This is the management group that felt this was the appropriate contract to give this player less than a year ago, and it hasn't even kicked in yet. He's played 283 games as a Canuck. He's still second in franchise history in terms of points per game. Yeah, Second to Pavel Bure. I don't think enough people are give JT Miller the credit that he deserves. I, I feel like I'm a broken record. I've said this on the podcast before. But it's true. Like He is second all-time in points per game at one point. 
one essentially it's 1.057 and <laughs> like that is ridiculous that's better than elias patterson elias patterson's not even a point of game player yet as a vancouver canuck will he get there i would bet that yes and will jt miller fall down a bit sure but right here right now the second highest points per game to pavel freaking burry and how regarded is pavel burry when it comes to vancouver canuck fans and i know that there's he's had his uh, time when it comes to the fan base as well. And it's been a bit, a bit of a rocky relationship between those two. But JT Miller right now, and again, for everything that we talked about in, on, on the path of how you get back to the playoffs, that didn't involve taking a step back. Yeah. Right? Because we talked about, got the top line center, got the top line defenseman, got the top line goalie. It's go time. So if you are trading JT Miller, you have to get somebody that slot. Like it, basically, you got to get JT Miller again. So why would you even do that? No, Unless I mean, that player is five to, you know, five years younger. And good luck right, with that. Right. And and so if you went younger, you get a guy that comes in and can continue to grow and build his game. But then what is next season? Like, what does next season look like? You can't be flushing any more seasons of no. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes no. doing what they're doing. So you cannot take a step back with where this team is right now. You cannot. There JT is Miller, no rebuild. JT Miller was 27. In the National Hockey League in scoring this past year, there's 30 te- 32 teams, yep. and the Canucks had two of the top 27 scorers. Miller was one of them. So, again, like, yeah, does he have some warts on his game? Sure, he does. And those seem to stand out. They're loud and they draw people's attention. But you're right. Sometimes, like, I don't think he does get credit for just the, the flat out production that he has given this Vancouver Canuck hockey club since he arrived on the scene. Yeah. And, and you know, there's nothing that says that JT Miller can't be traded in a few years as well. When caps go up, right? That contract doesn't seem as, you know, heavy on your cap at that point. You know, maybe he becomes a 70 point player, right? At $8 million and the caps up, let's say five to $10 million. Like at that point, like things start to even out. Sure. And, but it just, and, if he's got trade protection, it just it complicates matters. Right? I get that. But and, I mean, listen, if who knows where this team's going to go, that totally. could five years yep. from now, they could be back in the ditch again. Yep. Right. And you could have players, you know, exiting stage left in particular, Thatcher Demko. Right. So I, again, like, I just, I don't feel like there should be a rush to this at the same time too. If you're going to do it, like I said, you are going to have to get the equivalent of JT Miller back. And that's going to be very hard. Especially if that person's younger, then you're going to be looking at sweeteners. You want to trade another first round pick away? Like, so there is all of that when it comes to. Well, I I don't think, I don't think the first rounder, they paid a first rounder to get JT Miller. I don't think you're attaching the first rounder to move off JT Miller. I hope that that's not the case. If it's some young, I don't even know who, who could be available, but if it's like a 24 year old that, that, that looks to be a very, very good player, you know? It, it, could you pry that out of a team that perhaps is is still? I, I don't know. Like again, you have put to it ask this yourself, way. like, why would a team? No, I know, would, I know. Uh, no, but like, I'm it's a thirty year old. He's a he's a thirty year old player. Like who yeah. who's trading for JT Miller? I guess is what I'm saying. Unless you are making it worth worth their while. And that's I think a really important part of this equation. Obviously, you got to have a trade partner. But you know, do the Canucks wait? And we go through this exercise every year, not here on Rinkwide necessarily, but around the league. Like, you know, you get to the trade deadline and things don't happen. And then it's like, well, it's easier to trade big pieces in the offseason. And then the offseason comes around and you're like, well, nothing happened in the offseason. Now it's like, 
well, let's see who stumbles out of the gate early in the season and maybe somebody's going to be, you know, for like we just kind of it's a vicious cycle. And so a lot of times people will say, well, let's see who gets upset in the first round and, you know, feels that the you know, they need to go and make trades to address their areas of weakness. And again, we're not even to that point in these playoffs, but yeah, like, you know, a young building team isn't going to take on JT Miller. So is it a win now kind of team? It would like, to me, that would feel like the kind of team that would be willing to make that. But it's, I mean, the commitment is just, again, the deal hasn't even started yet. So, uh, yeah, I, I, when does he turn? Did he just turn? He's yeah, turned, he just turned. Just 30. turned thirty. Yeah, and you know, to bring it sort of back to the initial question about Pittsburgh, like I think all bets are off. Like, you know, a new management group coming in there. Sometimes we see that new management groups want to make a splash, right? Like that's certainly conventional hockey wisdom, or at least it has been in a hard cap world. It's obviously tougher to do that, but you know, Pittsburgh's got an incredible history, great sports town. You get a management group that comes in there, but we've also been told that. It sounds like, you know, one of the real focuses of this new uh, management group in Pittsburgh, whoever gets hired, is going to be leaning into analytics. Well, again, you know, most analytics people pretty wary of players that are on the wrong side of 30, even if they're productive at 30. Um, you know, people understand the value of contracts and the way it goes with production and the aging curve and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, does it feel like the kind of splashy move that a new management group that's leaning into analytics would make? Not really, not to me. Um, and so, again, you know, I think there are some ways that you could look at, you know, the Canucks are trying to create some cap space. Like, would they take a good player on a lesser contract to create a little bit of cap flexibility if another team was willing to take JT Miller and that entire contract so that the other team would get the better player in the here and now. And maybe it is the kind of team that feels it needs that player for the next couple of seasons to really take a run at a Stanley cup. But again, you know, how many of those types of teams are there? It limits the options for the Canucks and then it kind of backs them into a corner. So yeah, it's wild to think that uh, here we are again, looking at JT Miller trade options uh, less than a year after the hockey club committed to him with the contract, and uh, the contract hasn't even begun. It won't start until next season. If there is a team that were to consider JT Miller, as I look at the Penguins' uh, cap here and, and and their roster, like he he kind of would fit in with that team in terms of like they've committed to Brian Rust, who's now thirty, and he's got a lot of years left on his contract. Ricard Raquel, Raquel is twenty nine; he's got a bunch of years left on the contract. We know about uh, Sid the Kid and uh, Malkin, and of course uh, with with Latang there as well, who's signed up to a bunch of years and he's thirty six years old. I guess the point is that like if they're going to go for an old team or or go be that old team, you know, he sort of fits in with them. But also, too, I'm looking at, like, who would come back here? Right. Like, who do they have? And yep. for the in the here and now, like, someone that you could slot in right now, they don't have it. Yeah. They don't have You want Jeff Carter back? <laughs> no. No, definitely <laughs> not. But, but, but you know, I, I guess that is, like, how, how committed will the Penguins be to giving Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Crystal Tang one more shot? These guys have won their Cups. They don't need more cups to solidify their place in hockey history. But you saw this with the Bruins this year. Like they're going all in essentially for Patrice Bergeron, but David Krejci as well. You know, Marshawn still going strong, but he's 
getting closer to the end of his career than he is to the start of it. And so everything was about sort of you know, another cup to solidify the legacy of that group. Could the Penguins go down that road? I mean, Sid had an incredible, Sid was a 90 point guy this year. Like you know, he still got it. So do the Penguins sort of owe it to those players to surround them uh, with a little bit more? And of course, you know, it just, it lines up. I mean, JT grew up in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. Um, you know, he plays a that lot of playoff, it makes sense. It's just playoff style game. Yeah. Um, but it's just the fact that, you know, a brand new contract that uh, hasn't kicked in yet uh, with a lot of term and a lot of money owed, you know, how many teams can truly fit that under the cap? And then you're right. What is, what is the return? So Story's not going anywhere. Frank has uh, thrown a little gasoline on it here. And, uh, of course, uh, we take the bait. And, you know, we won't be the only ones in this market that uh, are talking about it. You mentioned that Tyler Myers was 12th on the list as well. And Frank lays it out uh, for all the reasons that we've talked about with the the bonus that's owed. That's going to be the difficult part is that, yeah, once the bonus is paid, you know, there's a million dollars in cash owed to the player and a $6 million hit, which is perfect for some of those low-floor teams. But... If you're Tyler Myers and you're not interested in going to Arizona, Myers has some trade protection. Like you put those teams on the list and all of a sudden that complicates matters for the Canucks if they're trying to offload Tyler Myers. So I think Canuck fans have to be prepared for Tyler Myers to be here for the bulk of next season. And then maybe at the trade deadline, you know, right shot guy doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, certainly not of late, but was there in Winnipeg when they, uh, got to the Western final against Vegas uh, in Vegas's first year. Um, you know, and at that point, you know, I, I'm not saying that you'd get a ton in return for Tyler Myers, but you know, that might be uh, how it ends for Tyler Myers as a Vancouver Canuck is at next year's trade deadline. I just, I can't see a team making a trade for him knowing that that bonus is paid out. And if in fact it is September 15th, that complicates matters just because so many teams have already made their offseason moves. They've assembled their rosters to start the season at the very least. And could a trade happen sort of during training camp? Yeah, I suppose so. But uh, don't see an awful lot of that uh, around the National Hockey League. So those are sort of the caveats when it comes to Tyler Myers. I guess for me, Outside of Meyer or Miller being fifth on the trade bait board, the fact that there was no mention of Brock Besser or Connor Garland for all the talk of those two guys in this market, particularly, but uh, league wide, at least on this board, uh, no sign of Besser or Garland. Yeah, that's surprising. And you would think that, uh, in particular, Besser might have some value uh, in a trade, but yeah, they didn't make the list. With Tyler Myers, I think you're right. I think. Canuck fans need to be prepared to have Tyler Myers in the lineup come opening night uh, next year. Where do you see that right side going now? Oof. Right? Like, so yeah. you got Heronic, uh, of course. Yeah. You know, Myers, is, is, he's going to be there. You're paying him. Like, so, and then, you know, what are your options here? You know, you still have, well, you don't have Burroughs actually under contract right now. Um, you don't have Bear under contract. You don't have Bear under contract. I mean, Cole McWard's there. Do you think he showed enough or do you think he needs to be in? The AHL, I there, I don't anticipate that Tucker Pullman's going to be an option. Yeah, it's interesting, really. What that writes, you know, is Jet Wu going to be a guy that can can come well, up? Well, you know? Noah Juleson's ahead of Jet Wu, although I think Juleson needs a contract too, if I'm not he mistaken. Does. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's that uh, Philip Johansson, who's we haven't yeah. seen a lot of, but oh, total wild card in the shot in, guy there too. So. so yeah, I don't think the Canucks fully know. I mean, you've just identified the characters uh, in this drama, but, uh, you know, how they line up. Heronix at the top of the depth chart on the right mm-hmm. side. 
now I say that that doesn't mean that he's going to be a top pairing guy. Cause I still think they're going to try to, you know, flesh out a little bit of depth and separate him and Hughes. So yeah, Ethan bear was all right with Quinn Hughes, but we've seen that. And I still not sure that Ethan bear is the perfect partner or the right partner for Quinn Hughes. But if you've got Tyler Myers, like, you know, if he's a third pairing guy, we already talked about OEL and what kind of value you're getting out. Like, this defense wasn't good enough. So outside of Heronic, just inserting one guy, like, does that really change the dynamic of a, a defense core that wasn't good enough? It'll help, but uh, still a ton of question marks elsewhere. And what about, um, what about Luke Shen coming back? I got all the respect in the world for Luke Shen. Love the guy, love the player, uh, love what he's doing for the Leafs and, and what he's brought to the Leafs and what he brought to the Vancouver Canucks. But, Again, this is about getting the Vancouver Canucks better. It's not yeah. like getting the band back together on a team that missed the playoffs and had the worst penalty kill in the National Hockey League. Like, again, all due respect to Luke Shen, but I just think, like, you know, with 33 now, and, you know, what's he going to look for? Not like, is he, you know, want, I would think he'd still like a little bit of term. Um, you know, the Canucks can't be committing a couple of years to Luke Shen. This is about moving past what's been here and finding players that can step in and improve it. And so, again, they don't have a lot of toughness. So could they? would they welcome that element? Absolutely. The guy, you know, as we said, character for days, uh, loved and revered by his teammates and the fans and all that kind of stuff. I, it wouldn't be the worst move they could make. But this idea of bringing him back, again, I'm talking about, like, we're already wondering about Myers and OEL and, you know, it, it just, it didn't work as a defense core with all these veteran guys. And so I think uh, in my world, I'd take a pass, but I'll be really curious to see, you know, what Luke Shen has done for his value to the Leafs, try to yeah, keep him in might, the fold. Might, yeah. Um, yeah. So how about that? I mean, the guy that looked like he might be out of the league about three or four years ago, you know, is going to be like, coveted and sought after here uh, as an unrestricted free agent. So uh, good for him. And uh, again, he, uh, you know, he's earned everything that's coming his way. Like he's just, he's found a way to, to stay relevant in the modern game and brings that element of toughness that uh, certainly the Canucks could have used or could use when he was here, but uh, you're seeing it, that uh, he's got a role to play with that Toronto Maple Leaf team for a guy that looked like he was going to be, you know, he's picked up to be depth and it's an every night player. Uh, on a team that's knocking on the door of moving on to the next round for the first time in a couple of decades. I'd argue he's been a massive piece for them in that yeah. uh, first round as well. He's really uh, set a tone out there that uh, they desperately needed. Uh, and signing him, too, might suppress some of the guys that we just talked about, too, right? Like, I mean, I well, know that he brings like, that tough element. That's Like, there's really few guys that can equal what Luke Shen brings in terms of the toughness, right? Like, you can't expect that from Noah Juleson. You can ask him to go out there and throw his his weight around, but he's not going to be as tough. As, uh, so there's that. But at the same time, too, you, you you know, these are guys that you that are younger, you want to try to develop. And yeah, you're probably right. It's probably time to to pass the torch, as they say. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. 
The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Let's get into some playoff talk presented by Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Quite the game last night, quite the games last night, really. But the uh, Florida Panthers live to play another game with a 4-3 victory, which is not easy to do. In Boston, very few teams beat Boston, let alone at home this year, but a 3-2 or a 4-3 overtime uh, victory. Makachuk with the winner. It's now 3-2 in the series headed back to FLA. Yeah, and the buzzer beater save by Bob off Brad Marchand. I mean, it was incredible stuff and obviously a game saver, but it could be a series saver. We'll see. Uh, Try this on for size. So you mentioned the fact that not many teams beat the Bruins, particularly in Boston. Boston lost seven games. All regular season on home ice. I think four in regulation and three uh, beyond 60 minutes. Seven losses out of 41 games. Panthers have won two of three already to start the series in Boston. So go figure. Linus Allmark, who's been incredible all season, not its finest moment there. And do wonder if uh, the Bruins look past that and come right back to their main guy? Or do you throw Florida a bit of a curve at the stage of the series? And you got Jeremy Swayman, who uh, you know had an incredible season as well. Uh, my sense is that Allmark's uh, not going to lose the net just no. based on that one play. But, uh, you know, I love the comments of Paul Maurice describing Matthew Kachuk as a, an all-time gamer after uh, afterwards. And, and he is. Like, look, he's been an incredible player. He's truly a superstar in this league. And playoffs are when stars shine the brightest. And so not a surprise that it was Kachuk uh, that found the net on the backhand to keep the Panthers alive. I still think the Bruins... Uh, will win this series and wouldn't be the least bit surprised if they win on the road, but uh, good on Florida. I'm not sure that I gave them two wins. I picked Boston. Uh, I kind of thought that might be one of the easier series in the opening round. So uh, good on the Panthers for at least forcing it back to the six and, and giving Boston something to think about. Linus Allmark's a uh, curious case, eh? Like the B- Buffalo Sabres just let him walk. Yeah. A six round pick back in, in 2012. And here he is you know, all these years into his NHL career. Uh, and now he's, you know, Vesna candidate, uh, backstopping the best team, regular season team in NHL history. But yeah, you're right. When it comes down to the playoffs, the slate gets cleaned at that point. And, uh, whatever you did in the regular season is irrelevant. The Seattle Kraken, big victory over the Avs, a 3-2 victory. They now lead the series 3-2 and headed back, uh, to the Emerald City. I mean, J-Pat, it's advantage Kraken now. Sure no? is. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, and again, like they've scored first in every game, so you know they're never putting themselves, at least they haven't yet, uh, behind the eight ball in any game, and that just puts the pressure that much more on the Colorado Avalanche, who, well, people wondered about the depth. It's not the same team that won the Stanley Cup a year ago. Uh, Landeskog's not available to them. Kadri, obviously, is not there. Uh, There are other pieces that uh, they didn't replace, and uh, the depth is becoming a massive issue, and you know, Evan Rodriguez scored the goal late that got them within one. That was his first goal of the series. 
But, you know, they picked up Lars Eller at the trade deadline. He hasn't scored for them yet. Uh, they got a handful of forwards that uh, just haven't. Like, Rantman's got five and McKinnon's got three in the series. But after that, it gets pretty thin in a hurry. And and that was, I think, the danger, especially against the backdrop of a Kraken team that now has 13 different guys that have scored in the first five games. And they throw Ty Cartier in there, a rookie making his NHL debut. And, of course, he scores because that's the Kraken way. And so they just keep coming at you in waves. And, you know, they're without Burakovsky. And now they're without Jared McCann. Does it matter? Nope. Um, they're buying in. And and you can just see the confidence there. And, sure, Colorado got to within one and applied all kinds of pressure. But uh, Philip Grubauer giving them enough goaltending. Uh, no, I mean, Colorado's in big-time trouble here. Uh, I, I won't write them off because uh, you're the champs until somebody does defeat you. But even on nights when Rantanen and McKinnon have been going, uh, you know, they, they haven't really made the Avalanche look like they're a whole lot better than this Seattle team. So, uh, you know, it, it's funny because I was thinking about, remember the, the famous quote of Nathan McKinnon when they got eliminated a couple of years ago and Steve hasn't done shit and he was like pissed off. And, you know, if they get eliminated in the first round as the defending Stanley Cup champs, like he'll be frustrated and disappointed, obviously, but he has won something now. He's won a Stanley Cup. So I wonder, and again, they're not eliminated. So I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I just, I, uh, the reaction of a guy like McKinnon, who is ultra competitive, I know that, but does winning the Cup change anything in your level of frustration, knowing that you're not going to win it every year? And sure, you want to get on a long playoff run and have a chance to defend it, but at least you've got your ring, you've got your name on the cup. So, you know, he doesn't have to sit there and express the frustration of never having won, but still getting knocked off by an upstart expansion club or second year team. Uh, it'll be a tough pill to swallow, but he still has a chance to make sure that it doesn't happen. But uh, no, the way this thing's gone and the way that uh, the Kraken are buying in and uh, the hunger that they play with their four check is incredible. Uh I like Seattle's chances to pull off the the massive upset now. Yeah, I think if you're Nathan McKinnon, you're not satisfied with just one, right? No, no, I'm not saying that you're saying that he's satisfied with it, but well, and it kind of that quote from Giannis last night after the yes, the box, same thing. Like people yeah. are trying to you know figure out levels of disappointment, and I guess there are varying levels of disappointment. Uh, but I wish I we'd want... get more of that though. Like he yeah. was really articulate about what he said, and 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 very respective of what he said as well. And sometimes you know. Sometimes questions from media members can be kind of bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they, they can be, they, you know, so it's, I like the way that he handled it. Yeah. If you haven't heard that, by the way, a Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, just asked if this year was a failure and just the way that he described it because they got bounced out of the, the NBA playoffs. Uh, listen, um, it would be unreal for this Kraken team to to move on. And, you know, I know I saw our buddies to and Price talking about it on one of their poll questions, you know, whether, you know, Canuck fans should be pissed off that teams like, you know, Vegas and Seattle have been able to have success so early in their uh, NHL lives. I think it's, I think they should be. I think Canuck fans should be pissed off. Now you can quibble all you want about the way things went down with Vegas. I'll give you that. I see both sides of that argument. I think it was a masterclass uh, by the Vegas Golden Knights and, and how they built that team, but they definitely had things uh, favorable, if you will, for them. Seattle didn't. And there are a lot of people that said Ron Francis screwed that whole thing up. Look at him now. Yeah. And quite frankly, didn't think a whole lot of the work that Dave Haxtell did in his first season as head coach. And again, it was a bit of a surprise hire, uh, you know, had the first shot in Philly, 
then was an assistant with the Leafs, but his name really wasn't linked to Seattle, and and they did pull that one off. And you know, a lot of times, first time coaches, not he was sorry, he wasn't a first time coach, but coaches of expansion teams basically are sacrificial lambs, and uh, you know, kind of felt that way last year. But give Haxwell credit, like you know, again, working with. You know, not superstar levels, but Jared McCann is developing into a star. Um, 40 goals. Yeah. But he's also 25 or 26 now, right? Like, I mean, he's bounced around. Did you think Jared McCann was going to be a 40 goal scorer? I didn't. I mean, I remember when he scored five goals in his first nine games as a Canuck, and the shot was certainly there to be a 40 goal scorer. But I I didn't, I guess I didn't think that he would be a 40 goal guy. Um, But, you know, I I do think there are some elements of... uh, parallel with what Vegas did in its first year. Vegas had a better team. And as you said, I mean, they fleeced a bunch of teams in the expansion draft. Seattle didn't. Uh, teams were on guard and a little better prepared. But I do think that there is this element of I'm a cast off. I got plucked in the expansion draft. Like, F you. I'm going to show you. I'm getting more of an opportunity on this team than I had elsewhere. I'm a better player. I deserve, you know, and guys sort of rise to that occasion. And then you look at the way that they're constructed Again, Daniel Sprong, PTO, converts it into a contract at league minimum, is a fourth-line guy, but a fixture on the power play, and scores 20 goals. Like, talk about mining some value out of a guy that was available last offseason. And the thing with Sprong that I don't get, and I'll be first to admit, I'm not totally familiar with, like, the player and his entire story, but... He like he's had a couple of fourteen or fifteen goal seasons prior to this one, and yet could never get himself any sort of contract traction. And I don't know what the rationale or the reasoning was, but this you know it wasn't like he came out of nowhere. Although he did come out of the Netherlands, and that's not a huge hockey producing nation, but but whatever the case, Daniel Sprong's been terrific for the Seattle Kraken, and one of these guys that you know steps up here in the playoffs. And again, it's it's hard to defend them when. You know, it's not okay. So maybe their top line's held in check, or you get the matchup you want against their top line, or top line's having an off night. They've got other guys that, you know, they don't have to score in bunches. But if you get enough goals from enough guys, all of a sudden, pretty good chance you're going to outscore your opponents. And that's kind of the cracking way. And then on top of that, you know, that big, strong defense is kind of made for the playoffs. Like Alexiak and Larson. Morgan's got pretty good size. Vince Dunn's uh, been fantastic. Yeah, Vince Dunn's had an incredible season. So, did you uh, mention the amount of goal scorers that they have? Different goal scorers? Yeah, thirteen guys That's in five unreal. games. That's unreal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good on the Kraken. And uh, again, if you are a Canucks fan, I would be pissed off. I would be. And maybe this will build towards you know some sort of rivalry down the road. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog. Sports odds, poker tips, and free casino games make a play today. That's where we're going right now is to my Bodog best bet. I hit it last night, Jay. I know you did. Yeah. I threw a dart at the uh, at the board and I landed on the Panthers on the money line. It was paying at plus 205. Hit that. Again, like I said, I just threw a dart. 
I kind of wanted the Panthers to win, really. I would love to see the Panthers push the series. In fact, I would love to see the Panthers beat the Bruins. Don't know if I would make that bet, <laughs> but I would like to see it. Tonight, this is what I'm looking at as the uh, Leafs try to put away the Tampa Bay Lightning in Game 5. I said to you before we lit up the mics here that I was going to go money line with Tampa. It just It's plus money, and it is Tampa. It is Toronto. We know the history. Everything's telling me to go there, but I'm not going to. No. But I'm going to stay with the Tampa Bay Lightning, though. Okay. Corey Perry, anytime goal scorer at plus 425. Corey Perry, he's got two goals already in the series, and he's a pest. We know how much that line that uh, they can do damage. So I'm looking at Corey Perry tonight at anytime goal scorer at plus 425. He is tied with the team lead right now through four games with two goals with Sorelli, Point, and Kalorn. So at plus 425, to me, that's just too much value to pass over. I don't know if the Lightning are going to win tonight. History tells us that they will, but we'll see. But I like Corey Perry, anytime goal scorer. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the problem, though, is if he's tied for their team lead this deep into the playoffs, and you didn't mention Stamkos, and you didn't mention Kucherov, you did say Point. Uh, yeah, but, but who put the Leafs away last year? Nick, Nick Paul. Paul. Yeah. Right? Like, they're that kind of team. But right. you, I mean, in the playoffs, you need your best players playing and and going and and again, the Leafs give them credit. The two teams out there and and you know, Sam Sonoff's done a, a nice job as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think Kucherov and Stamkos have been a little quieter than Tampa certainly would like. But tonight's another opportunity, and um, you know, until they're eliminated, they still have a chance. So let's see how it all plays out. I would imagine there's some. Uh, nervous energy in the center of the universe. Uh, the opportunity is there, but uh, they've been through the opportunity a few too many times. They've been let down by by the buds as well. So maybe it's a new season, different team, different chapter. Uh, we will find out. Yeah, it's funny though because you talk about the the big guys on the team sort of being held down, but Kucherov's got six points in the in the in the series, so he does lead Tampa in scoring. But he's doing it a lot on the power play as well. He's got four power play points. All right, going to be a, a big night again in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. And of course, we'll chat about it uh, tomorrow. We're also going to chat with our buddy, Patrick Johnson, because it's Friday. Mm. All right. It's been another edition of the Rink Wide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rink Wide is the show. It always comes.